This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Ready to get you ready to get spooky? Uh, yes. Yes. Raise your hand if you're ready to get spooky. Everybody's hands are up. Makes a good radio. You, can you hear right, my hand get... going through the ceiling? The Ooh. whoosh of air that you're. Oh man, that's a good ghost noise. Oh, it's so I'm doing like What's a it? Donald Duck noise that like sort of sounds like a western. Wait, what is? <laughs> is that like a, an unbalanced washer or something? Like, what spooky noise are you making? <laughs> I wish I had like a bottle that I could blow across the top of, which was a Scooby Doo mystery I saw. No, this was not empty enough yet. Nice, there you go. nice, yeah, yeah. Lightning. Welcome noise. to Overdue, a podcast <laughs> about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Oh, and my name is Catherine. Hey, hey, Catherine, how's it going? I it's great. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Catherine is our very yeah. special spooky guest this week. <laughs> Whoa, hey, she's so spooky. I'm frightening <laughs> even myself. <laughs> now, Andrew, what the heck is Spooktober? Spooktober is the spookiest month oh. on the on the Gregorian calendar. <laughs> it's, you, thank um, you for it, specifying. It, yes. It lasts, it starts when October starts, it ends when October ends, like it lasts exactly the same amount of time, but it's not October. No. It's a month where we celebrate spookiness by reading four spooky books and also, I guess, a spooky bonus episode. (laughs) It's traditional. Yes, right. In celebration of Halloween. And this is a tradition that dates back to the pagans and we stole it. The biker gang. When we changed their religion. What do you think pagan podcasts were like? It's too bad they're all lost. It was mostly chants. Huh. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Or just home remedies for weird problems. How to build stone hinges in your neighborhood. Oh, that's that's a good one. Yeah, I listened to a couple episodes of that one. It's called... Uh, oh, f- it. <laughs> it's called... I thought I was ramping up to it, and I and thought then... I was I was gonna get funny, and I couldn't do it. It's called called hen, henge it yourself. Nope, that's not it. Oh man, there's no henge like Stonehenge. What? Sure, that's okay. That's yeah, except that would good. be like a Stonehenge fan cast. That wouldn't be about. Have you seen Stonehenge this week? It is stonier than ever. Build looks, your own henge and save. <laughs> it looks oddly the same as last week and the last several thousand centuries that it's been <laughs> around. You obviously do not know how to henge. Check so out the, my the show first... where you can learn how to henge, how to monetize your henge. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this is the first, the first, and I don't know, is it the spookiest? I think every week's going to get progressively spookier, but we're just going to see. This is our the first of four Spooktober spooktacular episodes, and we've got Catherine Van Arendonk, who is co-host of Appointment Television, another podcast that we do with 
sometime overdue guest host Margaret H. Willison, mm-hmm. and she's here. What what book are you here to spook us with? Catherine? I am here to just completely terrify you out of your minds with the horror story that is James and Deborah Howe's Benicula. Now, wait, does that book have a subtitle? Does that book have like a second? It does. It is a rabbit tale of mystery. Yes, I know that James Howe, James and Deborah are good for a, a classic pun or two. So I wanted to make a lot sure, of puns, yeah, a lot of puns in here. Tickle, yeah. tickle Andrew's punny bone over there. Yeah, I got a big punny bone. <laughs> so before keep we it get, to yourself, though, please. I will do my best. Before we get into this super spooky book, tell us a bit about yourself and what kind of books you like, and then tell us a bit about James Howe, maybe. Okay, great. Um, So, yes, my name is Catherine, and I'm on Appointment Television, which is a really cool podcast about TV with Andrew and our friend Margaret. So cool. So cool. And uh, I... Right here, guys. I'm right here. It's fine. It's (laughs) It's quiet over there, you. (laughs) Uh, And I teach developmental reading and writing at my local community college, which is Union County College in New Jersey. And uh, I have a very fancy English degree, um, which I used to study serial fiction. Cool. So I learned a lot about... Captain Crunch. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, God. Uh, right why aren't we doing no an episode man. on Count Chocula for Spooktober? Let's go. <laughs> Did he write a book, though? <laughs> Um, no, so I, I work on uh, novels that were serialized. So like in the 19th century, Dickens novels are the classic example. Mm-hmm. But then I work a lot on television. A lot of my dissertation was about television. Um, so I was partly excited about Panicula because it's a series, mm. which is always really interesting to me. But yeah, so that's me. And so then James and Deborah Howe, the story of how Benicula was written is actually a little bit sad. Um, So James Howe was born in 1946 in Oneida, New York, and uh, he studied theater at Boston University, um, and he and his wife uh, started writing this novel and another novel um, called, I think, something like Peter Bunny's Scrapbook, something like that, when uh, Deborah Howe had, after she'd been diagnosed with cancer, and they were... Um, in the hospital while she was being treated. And so they wrote Benicula as a way to kind of cheer themselves up and keep themselves distracted during her illness. So uh, it's a it's a sad, sad story um, because unfortunately she then died right before it was published. Mm. Um, yes. And then James Howe went on to write several more Benicula books as well as uh, a whole – several different series, one called Pinky and Rex. He wrote some more young adult books. These are like middle grade books. Um, so he's all, also written some more young adult level books. Uh, he's won a lot of awards. Um, he – if you see pictures of him online, he just looks like this incredibly cheerful man. So I'm happy that he looks happy now. But that is that is the sad origin story of Panicula. Yeah, I read that uh, the idea that they would turn this character they'd created into a book came from Deborah's mother uh, because they were watching vampire movies all the time. Like that, like yeah. there's this perennial line that seems like 
a little too pat, but has clearly been molded over, you know, three or four decades of interviews where it's like, we were watching vampire movies that were on late at night in the 70s. It was the 70s. Some of them were bad. There was a some lot of, of vampire movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, like every other movie. It's vampires and zombies everywhere yep. you look. Uh, and they wanted to, they had this idea for like the silliest vampire possible. And so they picked a bunny. Right. It's probably true. They got pretty close. I don't if it's not the silliest vampire ever, it's definitely like top five silliest vampires. Well, I mean, we could make Twilight jokes now, but yeah. Are there bunnies? It's a different kind, of, it's a different kind of silly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least Banicula doesn't sparkle. One of the things, yeah, James Howe's had an interesting love life. So, yes. so Deborah Howe passes away. Um, he gets married again. He has a child. And then he comes out as gay. And now I couldn't find exactly when that is. Catherine, could you find that? Yeah. So I feel like it's like late nineties, early two thousands. That's that's the closest that I could zero in on that timeline. Um, So he and his second wife Betsy Immerschein, she was a photographer, and so they got together. I'm not sure how, but they also produced a couple of books together including mm-hmm. one about when their daughter Zoe went to kindergarten where she took um, Betsy Immersine took a lot of photos of of their daughter's kindergarten and they wrote this book to try to help kids prepare for that experience which came out in 1994 um, and then there are interviews in the sort of early 2000s where he starts to write about talk about his book The Misfits which he doesn't yeah, say yeah. he doesn't say is about him struggling with that element of his life but you know if you want to read into it i think it's kind of pretty easy to find sure um and then uh there is a really lovely new york times wedding announcement of him which uh with his partner who i think that was in 2011 yes right yeah robert mark davis who goes by mark yes (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's the cutest picture of any two people that I've ever seen. I know so. it's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The the misfits also coincided with his daughter being in middle school, so like that's the other parallel right narrative yeah. there. Cer- certainly, it's not just about his experience, but yeah. you know it sort of comes up in interviews a little bit, so it seems like it's related. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, did you know? And I, I really want to direct this to Andrew because I feel like he'll appreciate this. Did you know that? There are plenty of sequels to the Benicula series. And one I didn't know that. Okay. Did you know that one of them is called The Howliday Inn? I read that one. <laughs> That's not even the best title, though. I know. My, What's the best title? The best title is The Celery Stalks at Midnight, <laughs> which I also read. I just... Yeah, you really went above and beyond on this Benicula stuff because you, you were... You, we emailed you about doing this a while ago, and you, and I don't know who suggested Benicula, but you said it was that me. You'd been too, you'd been too scared to finish it. I did, yes. Yeah. So this is only a partial overdue because I had read half of it before when I was a third or fourth grader. I can't remember, and it was too and spooky. I think it was. If you got too spooked by it to finish it. It still counts. As it was. I I can actually find the exact. So I found I, the copy that I read is I checked out from my library, um, and it's an older copy. It's exactly the one that I read, and I can find the exact illustration where I was like, <laughs> "Nope, I'm done. I'm out. I can't handle it. It's too scary." <laughs> well, let's let's dive in. There's not yeah. mince any more words. 
about holiday inns, of which I found at least seven or eight on the internet. They're totally like <laughs> a pun that dog breeders use and dog people use. It's adorable. Dogs present some of the best like pun ratios that you can find anywhere. Yes. Like there's so many good pun dog names. The inn in Holiday Inn is actually called Chateau Bow Wow. Stop. Oh no. Yeah. What? That's the best. Yeah. I'd, yes. I'd... So okay, every every synopsis of this of this book and has repeated on Wikipedia on his author page and on like the series page. Uh, Benicula is about a vampire rabbit that sucks the juice out of vegetables, which sounds adorable. So <laughs> what what's the deal with this book and why were you so spooked out by it? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I can't say that it's not adorable. And I have stuff to talk about kind of what he like what he actually is like as a vampire after. But we should probably like if we just do the plot first, then we can, then sure. we can start to take it apart a little bit. So, right. So the plot of Benicula. There's first there's this opening that's an editor's note where you discover uh, that the manuscript was given to the editor by a dog who brought him the manuscript in his mouth. And there's like a note attached, um, which is really great. And so the note, I'm going to have to find it. One sec. So the note is, gentlemen, the enclosed story is true. It happened in this very town to me and the family with whom I reside. I have changed the names of the family in order to protect them, but in all other respects, everything you will read here is factual. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Harold. I come to writing purely by chance. My full-time, my full-time occupation is dog. I live with Mr. and Mrs. X, called here the Monroes, and their two sons, Toby, aged eight, and Pete, aged ten. Also sharing our home is a cat named Chester, with whom I am pleased to call my friend. Uh, we were a typical American family, and still are, though the events related to my story have, of course, had their effect on our lives. What? I hope you will find this tale of sufficient interest to yourself and your readers to warrant its publication. Sincerely, Harold X. Yes. That implies that the dog has a last name. The dog has a last name. <laughs> Ain't no rule says a dog can't write a book about a spooky rabbit. <laughs> that's right. So that's the setup. And then Harold is the narrator. I love it. Uh, yes. So Harold is the narrator of Benicula. And the premise for the sort of opening events are that the Monroe family, who he's already introduced us to, um, go. It's a dark and stormy night. And they go to a movie, a Dracula movie. Of course. And they come home from the movie. And one of the boys found a baby bunny on his seat in the movie theater. And so they have brought this bunny home. And Mrs. Monroe is the one who suggests that he, they name him Bunicula because they were in a Dracula, like bunny Dracula. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I get it. That's right. Okay. Yeah. It's a poor man toe, Craig. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't sure what we yes. were talking I was just playing along. I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, you understand portmanteaus. Yeah. So uh, in addition to the bunny, there's also a note which is in like ancient Carpathian or something like that, which happily Harold can read. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's already a dog who can write. I assume he's pretty smart. He is. He's very smart, although not as smart as Chester, which is an incredibly important plot point. <laughs> um, wow. Yes. But uh, it the note reads, take good care of my baby. Mm. Yes. Oh. Oh, Yes. So they bring him home, they name him Benicula, 
And then Chester, the cat, begins to notice odd things about the bunny. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, So uh, the dynamic between them, and this is something that Howe has talked about in interviews as well. So the dynamic between them is that Harold is like the Watson and Chester is the Sherlock. So Chester does all of the investigation and Harold's the sort of pseudo dummy who's like, what do you mean? Um, (laughs) Well, he is a dog. I mean, that's kind of how it works. Well, that's a, Can you not be racist for like a second? I will say like, that's, a, that's a point Chester makes frequently throughout the books. It's I'm just like trying to back smart, up I mean, Chester. Yeah, come on. There can yeah. be smart. There can be smart dogs. Yeah. Well, not for Chester. No. Um, <laughs> no. So Chester begins to notice odd things about this very small bunny who's living in this cage. So he's he he's completely asleep during the day. Like you cannot wake up this rabbit, and. Uh, the markings on his head and neck look sort of like a cape. What? Okay. What does that even mean? Yes. So this is a thing that, so Chester, Chester is, uh, there's like an incident in which he has some milk that's not so great. And so he happens to be up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And this is how he notices for the first time that Benicula is awake at Ooh. night. And not only is it, a, is he awake, but Chester begins to feel himself under some kind of dazed spell, and he feels like he can hear gypsy violins <laughs> in the background. Okay. And he notices that not only do Benicula's markings take on an increasingly caped-like appearance in the night, but his two front teeth, which are supposed to be like buck teeth because he's a rabbit, are instead fangs. Oh, no. Yes. That's terrifying. So, like, how am I, a third grader, not supposed to be completely freaked out at this point? Are like, you... fanged, fanged rabbit, guys. Though I, like, as a 29-year-old man who owns a cat... Yeah. I am, like, I am confused by this thing where the cat had never noticed him being up at night before because I have never known my cat not to be awake at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> just wanting things Yes, me. that's absolutely my experience <laughs> with cats, too. It's like a cat hitting you in the face in the night. Um, I've never yes. been a bunny person. Like, is this, Catherine, was it upsetting to you? Were you like a kid who liked bunnies and this was a bunny that just, that bunny's not right? Like, is that? No, I I don't think it was because I was so freaked out because I was like enamored with how, the cuteness of bunnies. I just think, I, I guess there's something about Harold's narration, which is just this really effective uh, reader stand-in, right? Where Chester tells you these creepy things and Harold is really freaked out, <laughs> right? Okay. And so you you get this received concern through the Watson yeah. dog figure. Is this an animal <laughs> world where they know about other animals? Like, they've, they've heard of bunnies before. Yes, they know that this yeah. is not a normal bunny. Yeah, and in fact, there's a great, yes, so they know about that. And there's also this great explanation for how they even know how Benicula came into the family. Oh. Um, yeah, so uh, let me see if I can find, right, so um, Harold says, and this is early, at this point, I feel I must explain something. In our family, everyone treats everyone else with great respect for his or her intelligence. That goes for animals as well as the people, which means, Harold goes on to explain, that, you, like, Mr. Monroe doesn't just say, like, good boy, Harold. He says, like, we're in a new tax bracket now, and then tells the dog <laughs> what the tax bracket is. 
which is pretty great. Um, and then, and Mr. Monroe also reads aloud his lectures to Chester. And if Chester doesn't fall asleep, that's a measure of what Mr. Monroe is an English professor. Sure. Okay. Sure. And he's also apparently bonkers. He's just insane. Yeah. Well, like, what would you do if you came home and your husband was like reading to the cat and he, and he said, the cat is not asleep. The cat's not asleep. My lecture's good. Well, yeah, that's that's. How would you feel that, about it? I I would. I mean, I would feel glad that my cats were asleep because they weren't driving me nuts. Um, I mean, I do tell the animals about my income tax returns. Do but. you? Because they have a whole explanation here about, um, or or they say like, "Come and sit on the bed, Chester, and watch this Wild Kingdom show. Maybe you'll see a relative." So there's how they know about animals and, uh, okay. and what bunnies All are right. actually supposed to be right. like okay. from Animal Planet. Yep, uh, Animal Kingdom, apparently. I don't think Animal Planet was a channel at this point in 1979. So, Jeez, Andrew. <laughs> Jeez, what a dark time in human history. We're on a TV podcast, man. Shape up. So, <laughs> the, <laughs> so the first real sign that something has gone seriously awry with this bunny and that really puts everyone... <laughs> And by everyone, I mean Chester, mm-hmm. um, uh, completely on alert, is that the Moreaus, um open up the refrigerator one morning and they're like, huh, what is so, what has gone wrong with the tomatoes? And there's this great illustration of Mrs. Mrs. Monroe like cutting open this tomato and like Chester the cat is perched <laughs> on her arm, like looking, staring down at this tomato. Um, and Harold's like, like crouched in the corner. And so the tomato and what they discover are several other vegetables have turned white. Now, that's not normal. This, this really freaked me out as a third grader. Like weird vegetables. <laughs> they had fang marks on them, Andrew. Like, how can you not be? incredibly concerned you're in elementary school you already don't like vegetables and now the vegetables are going crazy i'm gonna keep putting this book on blast one cats are up at night all the time (laughs) two if you put tomatoes in the fridge you're doing it wrong (laughs) okay well that's true that is absolutely true Um, they lose flavor it's a fact look it up read a book we did like a different book about tomatoes okay (laughs) <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. Um, but the Monroes apparently, or excuse me, the exes who he's calling the Monroes to protect their right. anonymity. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Monroes are apparently don't know this about uh, tomatoes. And so they decide that there's like some kind of blight that's maybe doing this or like the fridge is broken or something. But Chester <laughs> knows. Chester freaks the flip out. <laughs> And he starts reading this book called The Mark of the Vampire. Where did he get this book? Well, Chester actually actually has access to all of Mr. Monroe's books, and he often reads them at night. And in fact, Chester's name, Chester was named after G.K. Chesterson, famed mystery author. Yeah. Um, So he's, you know, just prone to this kind of investigative mindset, I guess. In this universe, it seems like this cat would have like a library card. It doesn't seem like there's much that these animals can't do no that's it that's true yeah <laughs> these cats um, are such per are such like personalities that i imagine they're wearing clothes i know they're probably not in the illustrations well, there's just there's just one cat it's chester is the only cat 
Sorry, I meant yes. the animals in general. Like they, yes, right. They yeah. feel so much like people that I. Ex- it would just be like wishbone clothes, though. It would just be like a hat, like a jaunty hat. <laughs> that would do. That would a little totally necktie. <laughs> Chester right. would have a little necktie. I think Harold would have the hat, like a little yeah. dicky or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Benicula's uh, got a cape. Like, come on. It's true. He does. He does. Uh, and he also appears in several. Of, I love the illustrations for this edition, by the way. And he appears in several of the illustrations and he has little fangs and like a little black cape and like his eyes are sort of black and Doll. scary. He's so cute. He's really scary. He's a cute little guy. <laughs> this oh. is the work of uh, Alan Daniel, I believe, is the illustrator. Yeah. So, so I want to give him so props. good. Yeah. So, so good. So um, so we're coming up to the part where I where I couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> Um, so Chester starts staying awake at night to track Benicula's, like, how did he get out of his cage is the big question, right? At this point, and, has anyone had a conversation with this bunny? No. Okay. Benic- would, how would, okay. Benicula never Well, speaks. are they like, are they like the animals in an animal movie from the 90s and they can talk to each other? Yes, they can, they can speak to each other. Harold and Chester have a lot of conversations. Chester frequently makes fun of Harold and like how smart he is or is not. Um, okay. But Benicula, for whatever reason, never says anything. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Chester starts to stay awake at night to try to track Benicula's movements and realizes that he does he like he is capable of getting out of his cage somehow even though it is locked. Yeah, guys, how is this not incredibly alarming to you? This <laughs> rabbit can escape his cage. But he's just a cute little he has bunny. Fangs. So <laughs> he's a cute little bunny. What am I going to wake up with a bunny in my bed? That sounds adorable. He has who know he could bite you in the ankle or something. Um so, it wouldn't hurt that much. Right. So uh, <laughs> so then Chester tries to like bully Harold into also staying up at night with him. Okay. Um, to like help him deal with the binicula situation. And uh, so Harold, there's this really cute bit where Harold often stays up on Friday nights with um, the younger son, Toby. And Toby feeds him chocolate cupcakes, which you should not do for a dog. because That's a really terrible bad idea. Oh, no. Toby. But, but ha- but Harold really loves them. Okay. So he stays up he stays up late at night with Toby and then he goes down to like hang out with Chester and be on binicula watch. Um <laughs> but by the time like he gets down there and like Chester I I can't he like fell asleep or something like that and they go to look for binicula and he's already out of the cage. And they hear like a shuffling and they go and they see that the refrigerator is open. And I am like, I'm like reading right as a third grader. I'm like reading with the book half under a pillow at this point. <laughs> and they like, they go to the refrigerator <laughs> and they see that it's open, but there's like a scuffle and Benicula gets away. And there's this, there, like this, the image is of Chester holding something. And he says, Harold Chester blurted, what, what, it's. Yes, it's it's a white zucchini, and like I, I was like, nope, I'm done. I can't, I can't handle them out. I can't. I can't. I was... Bum bum bum. Right. So, so how did he open the, the fridge? So it's Great a white question. zucchini. Why are we not terrified? Well, I mean, he can. 
you've got to accept that if he can, he can get out of a lock cage, then whatever like Dracula bunny magic he has has got to be sufficient for him to open a fridge. And whatever the fridge is not even locked. And whatever Dracula sealed. bunny magic he has is worth running him out of town on a rail because he's a Dracula bunny. That's what he, Chester is but saying. He's a he's a bunny though. I've, I'm with <laughs> he's Chester. He's an adorable on this one. bunny. I side with Chester on this one. Yeah, come on. So okay, so now we enter the part of the book that I hadn't read before. So I was curious. <laughs> I was curious to see how it actually shakes out. Um, so, uh, so Chester reads the Mark of the Vampire. Uh, they decide that he's a vampire bunny. Um, and he then goes about trying several different ways of warning the Monroes about this terrifying bunny who Makes lives sense. in their house. Yeah. But he's bad at it. Um, and so the first thing, and Harold, sometimes Harold helps, mostly he kind of watches in dismay. Um, so, so the first thing Chester does, uh, is that he ties a towel around his neck and then tries to mime being a vampire by biting Harold's neck, which quickly convinces the Monroes that like Chester is ill and like needs help. (laughs) And maybe he's cold, and so they put him in, like, a sweater with mice knitted onto it. So then Chester's, like, slinking around the house in this in this horrible cat sweater with mice on it. <laughs> um, so that did, that did not go well, the, the miming of the vampire. And the Monroe's really freak out about that. Uh, and then the next thing that he tries is to put garlic all over the house, so, like, Harold wakes up in the middle of the night because like the scent has reached his dog nose and he goes downstairs and there's just garlic everywhere and like Benicula is cowering in his, the corner of his cage. No. Oh, poor guys, guy. guys, he had him on the run. Yeah, you got him. You got him, Chester. <sighs> but he's just a little bunny. But of you course, guys are being so mean. <sighs> Andrew, but he's course, a vampire. The Monroes, like, don't realize the danger around them, and so they, like, pick up all the garlic, which means that, you know, wasn't going to work. He's posed no danger to anything but vegetables. We'll get to that. Okay. So... The vegetables are so cheap, though. (laughs) So... They might live in a food desert, Andrew. They might not be able to afford a lot of vegetables. Oh, that's true. I bet they do live in a food desert. That does make it much spookier. (laughs) I don't remember where they live, but let's, let's assume that that's the case. Is a food um, desert. Although I, although I have to actually, I can, I can deflate that theory because the, what they do when they think that the vegetables have blight is they switch supermarkets, which suggests that they had not one but two options for okay. vegetable purchase. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so the last ditch effort that Chester does to try to save the house from Benicula uh-huh. is that he tries to drive a stake into his heart. Yes. That's gruesome. Yes. I would be much more scared of a cat that could figure out how to drive a stake into my heart than I would be well, of a bunny that wait made a second. vegetables weird. Do you yes. mean a T-bone stake? Yes, I do. Yes. Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Homonym, homonym's got us again. That's right. Chester <laughs> makes the unfortunate misreading of uh, Mark of a Vampire and pulls out this piece of steak from the refrigerator yes. and tries to, like, beat this bunny with it (laughs) which of course the monroes also stumble onto uh and are deeply deeply concerned about chester at this point chester's my Um, boy i'm with him (laughs) 
I would hit a bunny with a steak. Come on. I think he's I think he's being silly. I think he's being super silly. Yeah, well, it's it just is not a good look for anyone, really. <laughs> to be to be discovered trying to like whack this poor Andrew- sleeping. He does it during the day also. So like he's got this prone bunny. Oh. And a dog looking on saying like, "Is this really right?" And this cat just like I'm the, Yeah, I'm with the dog here. Yeah. Andrew, what's your what's your cat doing over there? Is your cat hitting a rabbit with a sirloin? Like, what is he? Listen, if I ever saw any evidence at all that my cat like had thumbs or thumb like appendages, <laughs> I would I would fly to the Virgin Islands and just live there forever. Like, if if my cat has the capacity to use tools I'm just just out out because it's gonna end with me dying like it's not gonna end well for me wait but you will totally crash with a bunny that can teleport out of its cage open refrigerators and drain all of your vegetables of their vegetables I don't I don't gotta feed it like it seems easy to me it seems easier than a regular bunny yeah well I'm I'm with Andrew on the uh terrifying cat thumbs things because that sounds awful <laughs> um but i just feel like you're underestimating how terrifying this paniculous situation really is uh right okay so then so then finally uh chester just like harold harold starts to feel really bad for Benicula. Because he's just a little bunny. He feels really bad for him. He's just a little guy. He doesn't know what's up. He's just trying to eat. He's just hungry. He is yeah. the Ur-Rabbit. He is the father of all rabbits, dating back to the dawn of time. <laughs> the alpha he has si- He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Legion. He has sired all rabbits since the dawn oh, of Rabbiton. Yeah, um, the hell mouth has opened up beneath the Monroe's house. And just a cute bunny comes out. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe we haven't made any like Monty Python, Holy Grail, you know, killer bunny jokes yet. Oh, but yeah, yeah, That's I think you just made one by work. making that observation. Mm-hmm. It was a bad. It wasn't a joke though. Anyhow, that, we'll see. That's... Okay, well, okay. The listeners Anyhow, will. Twenty fifteen references or jokes. Okay. Yeah, the Fair listeners enough. will tell themselves a Monty Python joke. It'll be fun. All right, everyone, everyone, just take a minute and just have that in your brain for a second. That's the cool thing about humor is that like you have to do all the heavy lifting. We just like we just remind you of things that are funny and then you make the connection from there. That's right. Uh, okay, so uh, Harold starts to feel really bad for Benicula, and I I like that one of the things that he likes about Benicula is that Harold can just like tell him stuff and Benicula won't say anything, oh. and it's just like really soothing because like the relationship between Harold and Chester is great, but you definitely get the sense that like Chester is the one who's running the show and Harold is just kind of along for this ride and often maligned um, and like the only bright spots in his day are when somebody feeds him probably illicit poisoning chocolate so okay. so he really enjoys the fact that there's this bunny that he can kind of just chat with and the bunny will hang out with him um, but he notices that Bonicula starts to look less and less healthy Hmm. And Chester starts to look more and more tired. Uh, And so Harold, uh, uh, kind-hearted but somewhat dim bulb that he is, finally puts together that, like, something's got to be happening at night. And stays up and sees uh, 
Chester staged in front of the door to the kitchen holding a garlic bulb and like Benicula out of his cage just looking at this garlic bulb un- unable to like get past him into the kitchen. No. So every night Chester's just been sitting there with the garlic keeping poor Benicula from getting to the refrigerator and and de- devouring all those tasty veggies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so Harold, like, they have to do something about this. And, like, I was really expecting there to be a major dramatic final scene where, like, somehow, <laughs> somehow this really picks up some kind of. I, it's not like I was waiting. It's like a confrontation. It's not like I was waiting for kind. violence or anything. It's not like I thought this was going to turn Game of Thrones or something. But like but, Benicula reveals himself as a sorcerer who right. is a vegetarian. and Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, this is this is not what happens. So what happens. The green, the green wedding, <laughs> I think they call it. <laughs> so, so what happens is instead it's like dinner time and there's a salad for dinner. And the Monroes are, like, sitting down to dinner, and Harold gets Benicula out of his cage. He, like, goes in and, like, very carefully picks up Benicula by the scruff of his neck and, like, worries that he's going to hurt him. And Benicula, like, scents the salad and goes running for it because the poor thing is starving at this point. And Chester realizes what's happening and, like, makes a dash for it in the other direction. And so, like, the most dramatic image that I can conjure of this scene is like a bunny stumbling over a salad bowl with a cat like <laughs> running from the other side uh yeah um and then uh the Monroes are like look at Benicula and are like oh he seems like unwell maybe we should take him to the vet and like that's the end of the book basically. why are they not it seems like the other pets in the household are paying way more attention to Benicula well, than Benicula's he's... actual caretakers are yeah no that's fair I mean he sleeps during the day so like there's some reason for that like you just cannot wake him up during the do day do they not like put food in his cage they do or, put like, food in his are... cage sorry they do put food in his cage but Chester was taking it out why? Because oh, Chester. Chester's on point. You're Chester's been me. gardening. Me. No, Chester's been gardening these vegetables for weeks, Andrew. That's why they don't suspect anything. <laughs> They're just vegetables. <laughs> they don't have feelings. Are you uh, telling me just that vegetables? This, this book does not answer the question of what happens if I take my Dracula bunny to the vet. This book leaves that question unanswered. Oh no! So, so there is, there is actually. So they they take they take Benicula to the vet, where the vet decides that he's probably really hungry, but that for whatever reason he wasn't getting <laughs> his nutrients, and so they suggest that he suggests that they feed Benicula a quote liquid diet of vegetables, which is of course exactly what he was eating when he had the opportunity to. Mm. So they just feed him juiced vegetables, and now and then that's the end. Like that's that's the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> is there a lesson yeah. there is this just is this just good time spooky town like yeah no it's just good time spooky town like it's very it's very distinctly not meant to be moralizing like yeah and that's why you should spay and neuter your pets kind of a kind because otherwise they will kids. make more dracula buddies crazy and read books and get all kinds of weird ideas right <laughs> Yeah, uh, no. So, so no. Like, there's. It's just meant to be sort of a fun, silly romp kind of a thing. Okay. Um, 
But, and I was like, I was then really curious. I was trying to look for any kind of criticism that I could find about this book. Like, like who has written anything about this? Um, because I'm an English person. And so like that's, I'm like, let's turn to Google Scholar. So the only thing that I could find actually was a reference in a book by Eric Robkin called Food of the Gods, quote, eating and the eaten in fantasy and science fiction. Oh, man. Now, was he a cat? <laughs> I don't know. Is my question. <laughs> I don't remember if there was an author photo. Okay. Uh, um, okay. But this is just a cat in a scarf. <laughs> a cat in a tweed sweater. Yeah. <laughs> With like the leather, yeah, leather yeah. patches yeah. on the elbow. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> No, so this is in a chapter called Eat and Grow Strong, The Supernatural Power of Forbidden Fruit. And he it's just Wait, like this vegetables? Yes. Yeah, it's mostly about Adam and Eve, the chapter. Okay. Uh <laughs> but he then turns to like cannibalism. He talks a little bit about cannibalism and he cites Panicula as quote the only example of cannibalism that he can think of. That where it's completely benign. Like there is nothing wrong with being a vampire at all for Benicula. For it to be cannibal cannibalism, wouldn't Benicula have to either be feeding on other bunnies or he would have to be like a carrot? Well, right. Well, that's exactly what like <laughs> vampirism is a form of cannibalism, right? Because you're consuming okay. human oh, okay. blood, right? So it's the only form of vampirism that is completely that is benign. not vampirism, yeah. So it's not even a, a criticism so much as it is an observation. Well, the thing that he says about the book is that it, quote, reflects a fundamental lack of conflict, which I did find. Yeah. <laughs> the conflict between the bunny and the cat is, like, there, but the protagonist of the story being the dog is just like, just give it, just, what are you doing to this bunny? Why are you torturing this bunny? That's where I am yeah. in the story. Yeah, I mean, Like, I what does this bunny ever do to you? He just wants to eat what he wants to eat. You can see that, like, as an adult reading it, I can definitely understand that perspective. Like, it's very hard to get myself back into the space where I was so terrified. Uh -huh. But I really, really was. Like, there, it definitely works on some level if you're me as a, as a nine-year-old. Well, because um, it doesn't seem to tell you any of the rules regarding Benicula. So, like, your imagination no. is your worst enemy. That's yeah, true. That's just, an excellent point. You just know point. that he's a he's a bunny and he's a Dracula, and you don't know like <laughs> what happens next if you can get carrots. Like, what's to keep him from feasting on anything? It's else? true. There's no way to understand where how where how far this could po possibly escalate. Um, like Airbud, <laughs> the lack of rules is a big driver in this it's in true. this universe. It's true. Um, but I, like, I was also a person who like I couldn't handle goosebumps like it was just mm. even, I, I managed to read one goosebumps and like that was it and, and it i love awful. goosebumps but i watched jurassic park and i got freaked out oh like, weird scene the scene with like the the goat leg or whatever and oh the yeah and the kids in the car like i was terrified of that movie there's a period of time where i couldn't watch are you afraid of the dark it freaked me out i never i could you never were, watch so that you I you were could. afraid of the dark i was afraid of the dark ren and the stimpy would come on and as i remember like fleeing the room during the Ren and Stimpy 
like credits because I couldn't even <laughs> handle that the next show was going to come on. Are you afraid of the dark was the best? Like it was just it was all that one about like that kid who got caught in the pinball machine oh, forever. Man. Like it was it was really great. We need another. Are you afraid of the dark? I, we need to come. I back. could not watch any of it. I could not watch any of it. I could not read. I read one Goosebumps book, and I still am not a horror person. Like I, I have a really hard time. Say cheese, you're dead. That's no, the one I, I no, Say Cheese and Die oh. was the name of the book. And then the sequel was Say Cheese and Die again. again. <laughs> Reader beware, you're in for a scare. Uh, I, I don't remember mon- the- Monster Blood 8. <laughs> I don't remember the title of the one I read, but it was about a girl whose like, house, there was a f- house fire, and then like increasingly weird things happened to her, and then at the end she realizes that she died in the house fire. Oh, oh it's one like of those. The Ghost Next Door. The Ghost Next Door was the name. Oh, gosh. Uh, I that even thinking I have to say, Benicula now is not scary to me. Even thinking about that goosebumps now, like I'm still a little bit like, okay, I just gotta walk. I gotta walk around the room. <laughs> now you said earlier that you had read some of the extended Benicula fiction. Yeah, it's not extended Benicula fiction. There's sequels. Are there oh, levels the of canon in the Benicula verse? Yeah, actually there are because there's the <laughs> Benicula novels and then there's also like Tales from Benicula, okay. which is a separate series. Is he like a crypt um, keeper, like telling us creepy stories? I don't know. I think so, actually. I haven't read any of those. Okay. Does he ever talk in any of them or is he always No, he never, he never okay. speaks. Um, That's awesome. So, That's yes. A mystery. So the two that I read, I read Howladay Inn, which is the next one. <laughs> Uh, and the celery stalks at, at midnight, which I had to read because, like, that's just the you best. Can't not, How do you not yeah. read that one? So, because um, I was really curious. I mean, it's it's completely right what this person pointed out that there is absolutely no conflict in this book, right? And so if you're thinking about how to construct any kind of serial fiction, it's really hard to do. I mean, it's hard to do anyhow, but it's really, really hard to do if there's, like, no conflict to start with in the first Mm -hmm. one, and then you're like, now I have, like, a... It's not a blank slate for number two. It's, like, a negative. Um, You can't just do hangout books where people just chill all the time well i mean harold i would read a hangout book with harold and chester just because chester is so he's so high strung he's so high strung. The animal the animal odd couple he, they really are and he's so mean to harold but harold just is so friendly back to him and it's just it's a delightful little uh relationship that they have um so uh i read in an interview that how said that for the second book, which again he was writing without his wife, so mm-hmm. that's sort of part of the part of why it would have been really hard, of course, to like keep doing this thing that would have reminded you of what it was like um, when your wife was so ill. But the second book, uh, he said, the like when he started initially writing the plot, um, he realized he was just trying to rewrite the first book, and like that obviously was not going to work. So Holiday Inn, the basic premise is that Harold and Chester have to go to a boarding house, Chateau mm-hmm. Bow Wow, um, for the like a week while the Monroes go on vacation. Um, and so Holiday Inn is basically like a Scooby Doo novel. I uh, re- yeah, like an Agatha Christie setup where there's like a bunch of people in a in a place. Right, it's like yeah. a, it's like a locked room mystery, except yeah. it's a terrible locked room mystery because all the animals can get in and out of their cages at will. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no way to really narrow down any suspects. Um, 
but but it's Scooby Doo like because it's like there's some there there's uh howling in the night that they're trying to solve and Chester decides are werewolves because Chester figured it out once so he's like really gonna do this again okay um but then there's also uh the animals start to disappear so that's kind of those are the two and it's much more effective because it's actually conflicts right I mean like those are those are much more legitimate stakes yeah than the vegetables turning white um. But it's a Benicula book with no Benicula, which is a little bit, which is odd. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so the basically the long and short of that one is that the teen caretaker realized that some of the animals, well, some animal staying with them was very valuable. So he decided to steal all, steal them, and then like stole the wrong one a couple of times before he figured out which one was actually the really valuable one. And then he was going to sell them once he figured it out. Maybe um, the valuable but- one is the dog who wrote a book. Like maybe that's <laughs> the prized animal. No, it turns out it's like purebred dachshunds. Those are the really valuable ones. Well, of course. Well, this dog, he, the dog wrote a book with no conflict. Like it has no arc. Oh, good like, point. He's not a great novel. He's not a great dog. No, novel. I mean, he wrote a novel, but... <laughs> I think every dog has like a the great American novel like in his Stop desk drawer, it. but that doesn't mean that every dog should be a writer. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say like Harold also wrote Holiday Inn. It's a similar like there's another editor's note where he's like Harold came back with another <laughs> book, with another book. Um, and Holiday Inn, I think, is a is a stronger like if you're just looking at you know stakes and uh and conflict holiday and what what kind of stakes are we talking about uh these are these are definitely like a top like nice sirloin that you want to throw on the grill with some salt and pepper Um, good great yeah yes so there's like a lot there's like (laughs) there's a weird bit where like there's like dog adultery that's a little strange stop whoa (laughs) what hey whoa is he married (laughs) yeah so like some of the (laughs) residents No, but some of the residents at Chateau Bow Wow, there's Max and Georgette and I can't remember Max and Louise. And Louise is uh, a French poodle and Georgette <laughs> has like a really southern accent. And so Louise and Max are together, but Georgette is like trying to like lean in on Louise's territory. Hmm. And yeah, and then Louise disappears. So okay. they think that like Georgette knocked off Louise because she was Max is like a bulldog. Just so everyone can picture, like Max <laughs> is a bulldog and Louise is a poodle. I don't remember what Georgette is, um, but yeah. So that's sort of like what initially the thought was that okay. either Max or Georgette killed Louise. Interesting. But it was this so dopey. Spooky. It was this dopey teen caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's yeah. What is this book? Spooky, Benicula, the original book. Did you find like it spooky? spooky? Spooky for kids. Yeah. Yeah. There. I mean, it is. It's definitely. It's. It does. There's no conflict, but there is rhythm. Okay. So there. I mean, there's. De- there's no real reason as an adult, as like a logical person. There's no reason to actually find Benicula scary, but the way it's constructed, there are these swells in drama. So you know, you have your classic like they found him and then it's like okay he's fine and then there's something wrong with him and then maybe it's okay and then like he's definitely a vampire and the white vegetables and then the all the different ways that chester tries so hard and fails repeatedly mm-hmm. to deal with it so it it builds to yeah. what 
not much, but it definitely, <laughs> but it definitely has this sort of like arrowing direction forward that I feel like, because for me, horror stuff is that inevitable thing where you're just being pulled through the plot and you're like, don't open the door, don't open the door. But of course they're going to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's here, I think. Um, don't, don't open the fridge. Don't. Put on a towel and pretend to be a vampire. Don't. Oh, you did it, you stupid cat. I can't yeah. believe you did it this time. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So that's, so that's, uh, for me, that's why it was, I think that's why it's, it's kind of scary. And um, did, you yeah. said that the illustrations played like a part of it? Oh, absolutely. The illustrations, particularly of the first book, there's somebody else, I think somebody else did the illustrations, or at least I was reading different editions okay. um, of Holiday Inn and Celery Stocks at Midnight, and I didn't find those quite as effective, but the illustrations of Benicula are these really lovely line drawings, um, and Chester in particular is rendered with these like crazy fur that's constantly standing on end and really scary he bug sounds, eyes. He sounds stressed out. He just sounds like he's got high blood pressure. He would do really well, I think, being medicated. They make Xanax <laughs> for cats. <laughs> I just, I just get that sense about him. Um, Maybe that's next for the <laughs> for the binocular series. Zombieism, although they do zombieism in celery stalks at midnight, so they have to find another angle. I think. Yeah, the central um, zombie we, we, vegetables. We don't have time to get into it here, but I think the no. central question is like, what happens to the vegetables after Benicula drains them? Yes, that is the central question, and I, and I will say that celery stalks at midnight ends with my favorite moment, which is a telltale heart joke. Yes, but it's an, but it's an artichoke heart. Yes. What? Yes. 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 Okay. So how we're done. We're okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm just saying, like Holiday Inn, like there's no actual supernatural thing. The only supernatural thing in Benicula is that Benicula is a vampire until the final scene in Celery Stocks at Midnight when Harold just hears this like thump, 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 and it's an artichoke heart. Like <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. Yep. I'll give you credit. Yep. Good job, James Howell. Legit. If you are spooked by artichokes and you need someone to talk to about it, you could tweet at us at twitter.com slash overdue pod or uh, share your favorite drained vegetable pictures on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overdue pod. I lost the thread there. You could also uh, email us what you're afraid of, uh, hopefully not the dark, at overduepod at gmail.com. Andrew, where should they go if they want to learn more about the show? They could go to overduepodcast.com, which is our AOL homepage mm-hmm. keyword on the internet. <laughs> um, that's where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes or on Stitcher or on RSS, all the places that you could possibly want in the whole world. If you subscribe in iTunes, leave us a rating or a review because we like that and it helps us rise in the rankings, helps people find the show. Uh, you can also find on that website a link to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. That's a way that you can pay money to make more things like the thing you just heard mm-hmm. happen. So mm-hmm. that's that's good for everybody. Um, Craig, there's something that's happening in November. Can you talk a little bit more about oh, that? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we are going to be on a panel. We're going to be moderating a panel at Book Riot Live, which is November 7th and 8th. We will be doing a lo-fi and DIY storytelling panel on one of those days. Uh, details to follow. 
but if you wanted to attend that awesome conference up in New York City, you can go to bookriotlive.com and use the code OVERDUE to get like 20 bucks off. Margaret Atwood's going to be there. It's going to be a bunch of authors there. They're going to be playing like trivia we gotta games. We got to get her autograph, right? Yeah. Like, I th- well, or at least a cool be picture. Our quest. Yeah, at least a cool picture. Oh, of her. a picture would be great. Oh, that would be even better. Um, also, you should go to headgum.com. That's that's the homepage of HeadGum, the podcast network that we belong to. Uh, they've got a bunch of other shows, a lot of them about TV. They just added one. Craig, what's it? They added a Golden Girls called Out on the recently. Lanai. It's a Golden Amazing. Girls dedicated. Yeah, it's I, I can't wait to listen to it. I'm real excited. I was watching like a YouTube clip of the Golden Girls the other day. It was making Do me they laugh have so the hard. theme song for Golden Girls as part of it? Because the theme song is just I mean, everything Thank about you. Golden Girls. Seeing a friend. Bump. I want to drink some iced tea right now. Let's go. (laughs) Well, thank you both for being a friend. You're a pal and a confidant, Andrew. Thanks for being on the show, Catherine. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. It's my pleasure. Uh, Any any chance to read Scary Benicula. What's the show that you do with Andrew again? Our podcast, yes. Our podcast is called Appointment Television. Cool. We come out every other week right now, and uh, it is... We talk about television and uh, what we're watching and current stuff. We often have a segment where we do TV book club, where we follow a show uh, across several episodes. The next TV book club we're going to do is Black Mirror, which I just watched the first episode. Which you apparently have been legit traumatized by. Speaking of things that are actually terrifying, I watched the first episode of Black Mirror and I I don't, I can't, I, it's just the whole episode is me going to be me just going like, I can't, I, I, so it's really I'm going to be very articulate about <laughs> good it. Good radio. All right. So we yeah. it, we we broke you. That's good. That's good to know. Why? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's run down our spooktober plans. We've read Benicula for this week. Yes. Next week we are choosing our own adventure. We're going to read Ghost Train, where in the train is the ghost, I guess, Correct. if you go by the cover. Um week 3, I'm going to be reading The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. Craig, what are you going to read for week four? I'm going to be reading Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Ooh, I'm excited about that one. Ooh, good. And then we've got a bonus episode that we're still planning, but we think it's we think it's going to be something that you guys will like. It's going to be very spooky, of course, because it's Spooktober. Yes. Uh, anything else? Are we good? No, we're good. We done? All right, everybody. We will see you next week. And until then, try to be spooky. <laughs> <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.